District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to CFACT.org. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of District of Conservation. To kick off our first guest or multiple guest episodes, I'm really thrilled to be joined by two really phenomenal natural resources and energy and environment writers who also participate in the Young Voices contributor program like I do. They're a little bit further in their journey, and they've had some impressive articles published independently and also together jointly. I know you guys have done a few together and I figured why not invite them to talk about the natural resources E&E beat, what led them to get curious about it, why more people could and perhaps start to receive better the center right perspective on these issues and what is on their mind in 2022 as important issues. So both Kat Dwyer and Patrick Hines, thank you guys so much for joining District of Conservation. Thanks for having us, Gabriela. Thank you. Absolutely. So who wants to start off by introducing themselves? I'll let Kat go. <laughs> All right. Um, well, I'm Kat, and um, I uh, started writing for Young Voices um, in January of last year. So it's been a full year now. Um, I've continued on as a contributor, um, and I work um, for an organization called PERC, the Property and Environment Research Center. Um, I'm their marketing and media manager. And Perk is based in Bozeman, Montana, and we're the home of free market environmentalism. Um, and I'm Patrick Hines. Um, I started Young Voices, I believe, in the same class as, as you, Gabriella, in, in June or July last year. Yeah. Um, and then, um, so I actually got interested in Young Voices from Kat, so I give her all the credit. She um, reached out to me. Uh, just over Twitter. I had started writing just kind of on my own about this stuff um, and then got hooked up with Young Voices. And then through Young Voices, I got my current job, which is an editorial associate at American Conservation Coalition. Um, And what we do is um, we're a grassroots movement helping activists um, on the center right um, to really have an impact in the, uh, the climate change debate. Um, and so I've been working there since September. Um, I'm also involved in the Libertarian Party, so I'm the chair of the Libertarian Party here in D.C. right now. Um, so, um, but I, I think this issue of, of climate change is where libertarians and conservatives um, are pretty much aligned in, in all respects. That's an interesting kind of journey for both of you, but more broadly, what led you guys to take an interest in this? I know you both do outdoor activities to some degree. So did that also play a part in your interest in writing about these subjects? Um, yeah, I mean, I've always kind of been like a student of classical liberalism and, and sort of Austrian economics. Um, I studied economics at San Jose State University. I'm a California native, which I, I always say with, <laughs> with with a bit of a sigh, having living in Montana now, because that's kind of a, a scarlet letter having been from California. But um, I studied economics and was always kind of an advocate for free market solutions. Um, and then and also grew up spending a lot of time outdoors, fell in love with backpacking. Um, I've kind of always found great solace and in spending days in the backcountry, and um, I kind of feel like that's where you experience true freedom. Um, so, as a libertarian, I sort of interpreted that as like a libertarian act. <laughs> um, 
but when it comes to kind of finding a career path, I, I wanted to marry those two passions. Um, my, my love of the outdoors and, and my interest and in support of free markets. Um, and so when I found Perk and when I found Young Voices, it just, it was kind of this like aha moment um, that these kinds of organizations exist. Um, and especially Young Voices was an opportunity to, to give a platform um, to, I think, to, to voices that don't often get heard. Um, and I think uh, the work that they do is really, um, it's pretty incredible. Uh, so it's, it's been a great opportunity being able to work with them. And uh, yeah, so mine is kind of similar, kind of different. Um, I really just became involved in um, policy and politics in the 2020 um, election. I was uh, just kind of decided to join the Joe Jorgensen campaign. Um, and then I ended up running, running for Congress myself here in DC. And um, I had always been a libertarian, um, but I was a libertarian Republican that was kind of disassociated with kind of the, um, what was going on in DC, but then I decided to get into politics as a libertarian. Um, and so after the elections, I was thinking about how I want to kind of utilize that to um, go into a career in libertarian policy. And I do spend a lot of time outside. Um, I'm, you know, fly fishing is, is basically an addiction for me, but I, I do go hiking and I love it outside. So I always thought that this uh, environmental and conservation debate was kind of lost on, on our side of the aisle. Um, and then I started just doing some research and actually Perk was, um, was kind of, when I, when I heard about Perk and free market environmentalism, I really dug into to that concept and the really the, the strength of property rights, I believe is, is the way to, to address these issues. And so I was very motivated by that. And I started writing about um, kind of the, the free market approach to, to these issues. Um, and then, yeah, and ended up with Young Voices and, um, and now with ACC. So um, I think everybody kind of has that aha moment when about the you know, market environmentalism, where there, a lot of people are kind of scared to to jump in um, because you know they think that the two are exclusive of each other, um, you know, capitalism and conservation. So when you start to actually learn about this stuff, um, it's you know it really motivated me to want to actually work in it. So now I do. Those are interesting backstories, and I had a very similar story, which I won't dwell on to because you guys are the feature of the show. People know my story, but it really is important. And I think more conservatives and libertarians are speaking out about these issues because they have direct involvement somehow, whether it's from a recreation standpoint or maybe a commercial or business standpoint. I know a lot of people make a livelihood off of public lands and even private lands. And so we do see more people speaking out and I'm encouraged by that, but it seems like there's kind of a schism with not schism, but kind of like a a fork in the road kind of divided where federally we see, I would say the government moving away from what we call true conservation and the states and localities are still keeping in line with that. That's kind of how I feel like things are being pulled in conservation. But what are your guys's landscape or thoughts on the landscape of conservation going forward? Are you encouraged, not encouraged, kind of mixed about uh, what's going to happen in 2022? What issues are you looking for? 
Um, I'll, I'll say um, I'm pretty encouraged about what's going on with nuclear energy right now. I think the tide has kind of turned in some respects with the public perception of nuclear energy as a necessary um, step towards um, decarbonization, right? So I, I think this presents a huge opportunity for conservatives to, to really um, take the issue at heart and, and really be kind of the, the party of, of, of um, saving nuclear energy, uh, to be honest. So that's something I'm, I'm very optimistic about. And, and overall, um, with ACC's work and seeing how it's impacted the kind of attitude on Capitol Hill within the Republican Party about um, addressing climate change and, and not succumbing to big government policies, but using the market to, to really take the issue. Um, I'm excited about the prospects of the right being able to use this actually to their advantage to win back some seats um, in October. So, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. And I guess I'll echo uh, what Patrick has said. Um, I think the world is finally and maybe begrudgingly um, acknowledging that solar and wind energy are just like not scalable, practical alternatives to fossil fuels. Um, and that means they're, they're therefore they're not the answer to mitigating climate change. Um, and as Patrick noted, he and I both have written about how, you know, we think nuclear is a better, more practical alternative to fossil fuels. Um, so I think we're, I think in 2022 and beyond, we're going to start to see kind of an effort to like walk back much of the rhetoric that we've heard over the past few decades, demonizing nuclear um, and even natural gas. Um, because I think there's people who are genuinely waking up to the reality and realizing that it's a better alternative. But I think there's also, you know, many of our world leaders are just facing so much pressure from their constituents um, who bear the brunt of like, of bad environmental policies um, that they're they're kind of being forced to 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 walk back those comments and and to kind of change course, um, and I think the international conversation around climate change is going to shift from one of stopping climate change to one of adapting to climate change, which I think is a a welcome change and and you know hopefully really does come to fruition in the years ahead. Domestically, what else do you think people will focus on? There's so many issues. But I was just curious if you guys had anything else besides kind of the embrace of nuclear energy, which I think is starting to become like a bipartisan issue that people are starting to coalesce behind, which I'm encouraged by, too. Um, I I think that um, carbon sequestration using our agriculture um, to our advantage, right, like agriculture community gets hammered. Um, for, you know, contribution to emissions. But first of all, they're feeding the world. So we have to give them a little bit of a break. And also there's, there are, um, there are practices in place that are, allow the agriculture community to um, really build up their soil and use soil as a carbon sequester. And that also goes to wildfire policy in, in California, say, um, making sure that we have trees that are that are offsetting the the emissions of carbon. So I think more and more people, I, I'm seeing more in the news um, coverage of of actually um, use, utilizing soil, trees, uh, the ocean um, as a carbon sequester, so we can kind of negate a lot of the effects of of carbon emissions. Yeah, I guess another area that's um, 
related that I'm optimistic about in, in the year ahead and beyond um, is the issue of forest management and wildfire mitigation. Um, and that's another issue where I think, you know, unfortunately, because the costs have become so high, um, unfortunate that, that it took that to get people to realize this, but people are starting to realize and acknowledge and accept that um, forest restoration is needed to, to restore our forests to a healthy state and to, to return to healthier um, fire cycles. So that's something that um, PERC has been working on and will continue to work on um, over the next year. Um, and yeah, that's something that I think uh, there's actually something to be optimistic about on even the political front. That's something that's getting bipartisan support. Um, and hopefully we'll see real changes take place um, in our, at least in our national forests across the country. Yeah, it seems like it would, <clears throat> especially after it was discovered that I think 20% of sequoia trees were decimated across two years because of unfettered fires. And, but although I don't know why they're not wanting to embrace it, maybe more at a federal level, because I've seen, and maybe you guys can correct me, but I think for NEPA reforms, there's no openness to hearing it for categorical exclusions by this administration, at least. I'm not sure if they're open to it, but I see that there is a little resistance on their end because they don't want to uh, accept the changes that were made the last administration. And did you guys see President Biden's comments about wildfires and solar, or not solar, oh but wind, windmills? <laughs> what do you guys think yes. of that too? Well, that was just another classic Biden moment that was incoherent and nonsensical. Um, but, so that was, yeah, I don't know. That was just, he's a meme, I guess. Um, but uh, you're, and you're right. Like the NEPA reform is, is a hurdle, unfortunately. Um, but that's even an area where if, you know, to achieve Biden's dreams of, of, you know, ramping up domestic production of um, renewable energy, like solar and wind, or even just doing, trying to mine for the rare earths that are needed for those technologies, trying to do that here in the US, um, NEPA reform is needed. So that might be another one where maybe they, you know, there isn't support at the moment, but I think sort of everyone's hand is gonna be forced because eventually something has to change to be able to have, to achieve these goals that we've set. Um, and there are so many regulatory barriers right now that, um, I think, you know, one by one, they'll be tackled. Um, but but you're right. So on the forest management issue, that's an area where people are acknowledging that forest restoration is necessary and healthy. Um, but the regulatory barriers that stand in the way, that's a whole other challenge. Patrick, where else do you think um, some policy advancements will be made? Do you think more so at the state level? Could we see some stuff federally? Or are Democrats not going to go in line with Republican items, even if it relates to climate mitigation efforts? Um, I, I think federally, they're, they're kind of focused on the wrong things. They're focused on, you know, kind of hyper subsidizing um, solar and wind, which they, we've already been subsidizing. It's at, and solar and wind are at a very low cost right now. So, the, the, you know, we should be done with the subsidies, right? Um, I know they're trying to, to help out some of these nuclear plants that are closing uh, with tax incentives, but I don't think that what was what is supposed to be in Build Back Better with tax incentives to keep nuclear plants open, I don't think that's enough. We've already seen some states say that it's not enough. So I, 
going along kind of with with what I was talking about with nuclear, I think it's going to come from states. I think um, state governors are are going to focus more on saving these these nuclear plants because half of our nuclear uh, plant fleet is set to close by 2030 unless something's done about it. So every year there's going to be increasingly more and more of these plants that are going to you know go off, go offline if nothing's done about it. Um, and that's gonna it's it's gonna dominate kind of the headlines because um, we're seeing when plants close, emissions go up and prices go up and, and solar and wind are just not there. So I think um, when it comes to states versus federal, that's going to be the issue in the next couple of years. Yeah, we'll see the wrestling of that for sure, at least until 2024, maybe beyond too. I want to ask you guys something more broadly about um, how conservatives can get people animated about these issues. Something I've talked about with a few friends privately, save for a few think tanks and media outfits, there's really no center right, like environmental conservation, like media fellowship program or like dedicated focus, except for like perk, because you guys focus entirely on these issues. But I'm thinking like DC policy think tanks really don't have a stake in these issues or they don't really dedicate much or they put it under like the energy and environment umbrella. And then you don't really see much of this in media because like the left has all these different outfits for media fellowships and media like immersion programs. Do you guys think there's an opening for that or, or anyone is looking to tackle that aside from, you know, young voices giving all of us a platform to write about these issues? Uh, Go ahead, Kat, because I I know you guys have fellowships. Well, yeah, I was just saying that that's a great question. Um, And I guess the, the fellowships that Perk offers um, are really more for for scholars that are looking to do, you know, that are maybe um, working on a dissertation, or uh, we also offer them for for graduate students as well as PhD students. Um, so that's a little bit, I guess, that, that creates a, a it's a more narrow net. Um, it would be great if there were more opportunities um, to or to be able to get these ideas out there, um, and I think kind of maybe in true free market libertarian right of center fashion, like this is kind of a, an entrepreneurial effort. Um, and it seems that, that increasingly there are more and more just individuals that are interested in these issues and knowledgeable that are creating their own platform, whether it just be on Twitter or other social medias or Substack. Um, so I, I agree with you, Gabrielle. I, I wish that there were more um, kind of formalized, uh, vetted, legitimate options out there. Um, but I also think it's pretty neat that um, there are a lot of really innovative, entrepreneurial young people who are kind of making it happen on their own. Yeah. And I'll say um, I'm still relatively new to the policy world. Um, so I'm, I'm still kind of figuring out the landscape of, of fellowships and think tanks and all that. Um, what my job with ACC is, um, is to get young activists to write op-eds. Um, so I see kind of a, um, an opportunity to, to get kind of people in the door, right. Uh, to, to have them learn by writing op-eds and then get that on, on their resume, um, so there will be more of a, a supply of of people like us with knowledge and and experience writing about these things. So I think um, 
I think for that, you know, kind of creating a movement of, of young people that that want to get their voices in these publications to to ca- kind of counter some of the stuff the left gets um, gets away with publishing um, it is going to be the, the way to do it. Um, I think, I mean, energy and environment, obviously, for the next, you know, 5, 10, 20 years, at least is going to be a, a major, major thing. So I would assume that a lot of these think tanks that may not have strong energy and environment um, programs right now will will certainly implement it. I also think there's a deficit maybe on the land stewardship side. Like Perk does a great job of it and a few other smaller outfits do too. But I think people forget that while it is important to talk about the climate and energy beats and the issues related to those subjects, I think people forget that you can inherently discuss conservation and appeal to people who may be turned off by the term environmentalism through land uses issues. You could talk about wildlife conservation. I've, I've noticed with people, they seem to receive environmentalism a little better, especially free market environmentalism, when you talk about it from an issues kind of localized standpoint. So I think we can do better even with how we frame the issues and not scare people with it. And then also like still stay true to our center-right conservative libertarian ideals and get people really to come around to the issue and get more empowered and beat back a lot of the talking points that do kind of misrepresent what true conservation is and, and how a lot of people are trying to lump preservation with conservation. That's something a lot of us have to wrestle with. I can speak to a personal experience with that because so many people, and I think the media too, just conflates the two terms together. And I think we just have to do a better job. But do you guys struggle or sometimes like get frustrated with the fact that people conflate the two terms, preservation, conservation with one another, and it makes it harder to lay out a case? For sure. At PERC, we're, we're really cautious of not referring to, to efforts, our efforts as preservation, right? We, we're in the business of conservation. Um, and there is an important distinction there. Preservation sort of implies um, uh, like non-use or, or, or kind of like a stagnant, um, perspective on nature, um, when nature in fact is very dynamic. I think that's another kind of important, um, perspective to maintain that it's always changing and always will be. And there is no like perfect state that's, that is entirely a human sort of construct. Um, so yeah, I hear you. It's important to kind of make that distinction and be careful in our language. Um, but something I wanted to say to your earlier point, uh, Gabriella, is, you know, I think, I guess a reason to be optimistic is that um, TNC, the Nature Conservancy, which I don't think anyone would describe as um, on the right <laughs> politically, um, even they, and they have been for a while now, um, they've sort of embracing what we would describe as free market environmentalism. And now they're not going to brand it as that. Um, but they do, they have like habitat lease programs where they'll, you know, like pay a farmer to leave water in stream um, to, to maintain, you know, healthy levels for fish, or they do a similar thing kind of, I think they call it like a bird bank for migratory birds. Um, they will have pay farmers to kind of um, allow, like in California, allow to maintain marshland for a period of time during the uh, birds migratory um, season so that birds can have habitat there. So, and that's a private solution where a, you know, private group is funding and paying for that habitat um, 
and compensating the landowner for the use of that habitat. Um, so that's a free market solution that like, again, maybe they aren't marketing it as that, um, but I think these ideas are slowly catching on. Um, so that that's another reason to be optimistic. Yeah, I just, I mean, I, I completely um, agree with that. And I think with conservation, um, it's almost, it's almost an easier sell to say, you know, somebody on the right who who is a little skeptical, right, um, about our advantage with with conservation is incentives, right? If we own the the lands, um, we're going to be more incentivized to conserve. And we've seen, um, you know, in cases where where say the federal go- government owns a, a lot of lands, and um, a lot of that lands. Um, they haven't really been as incentivized as, say, an individual or a company would be in managing that land. So that's where you're seeing um, some of these organizations that are, are traditionally thought of as on the left, um, kind of um, ceding to the fact that markets work um, when it comes to incentivizing people to, to take care of and, and be good environmental stewards. Um, so I do think that that is, Gabrielle, you're, you're right. There's um, almost a little bit less, too little of a focus on the conservation compared to on the national level. We talk about, you know, emissions mostly, um, but it's, it's something that when it comes to conservatives um, and libertarians and their, you know, their strong belief in property rights, um, I think it's, it's, one of the strongest arguments that we have for the kind of free market perspective. And I'll just add quickly that um, if, if, if my prediction is right, that eventually, you know, sooner rather than later, we're going to sort of, the narrative is going to shift to, to adapting to climate change rather than trying to, to stop it. Um, what I, what that will sort of inevitably mean will be kind of turning back to traditional conservation issues, um, like water conservation, right? Like if Western states increasingly are facing drought um, in part because of a warming climate over the next several decades, um, and if we shift to a mindset of adapting to those to that climate change, then we're gonna have to be dealing with water conservation. And water markets work and water markets work in the, in the West. Right. So like, hopefully, and maybe I'm being too optimistic, but hopefully, um, if, if we kind of become a bit more, um, measured and practical in how we tackle these larger issues like climate change, um, that will inevitably and necessarily mean that we start focusing in on those other conservation priorities that have kind of been neglected, um, in the national narrative. Interesting. I want to kind of start to finish off by asking you guys a little deviation from public policy, but more so about your outdoor interests. So what has been a favorite activity of yours and where did you do it? Oh, that's a fun question. Um, I love backpacking. Um, So in the summer, I am out most weekends and um, Perk is a pretty cool place to work. And when the weather's great, uh, they let you take time off. So in the summer times, I feel like I'm constantly in the mountains. Um, and 
I almost don't even want to give up my secret favorite spots, but there's a range called the crazy mountains that I love, um, that this last summer I spent a ton of time in, um, just exploring different, uh, drainages and peaks and Alpine lakes and stuff. Um, so that's, that's my happy place for sure. And, uh, mine's easily fly fishing. And, uh, I first started doing it in college. Um, I fished when I was a kid all the time with my dad spin fishing. But once I started fly fishing, um, I just never went back. And I've actually been going out to, uh, up to Bozeman, uh, Montana, most summers since, since I graduated college to, to do that. Cause there's no, no better place. And I actually met Kat in Bozeman uh, last summer when I was there. Yeah. Um, and I know Gabriella, you are a fly fisher woman. Um, and I mean, I, I think that this area, the Shenandoahs, um, around DC, it, it doesn't get better than, um, the Shenandoahs in the spring. So I'm, I'm very much looking forward to getting out with you, hopefully. Yeah. We've been talking about doing that. I have a group of friends that I go fly fishing with and like you, I started with spin and bait cast and I've gradually migrated into this form cause it's a lot of fun. And I haven't cat spent as much time outdoors in Montana. When I went there for the first time last year, driving through paradise Valley, Bozeman around like Yellowstone national park. And I've been to Yellowstone before, but not the Montana side. It was just so beautiful. So many places that I would love to hike one day. I'm actually going to glacier national park. Uh, this summer for an outdoor media conference that we're having in Kalispell. I'll tell you guys more about that offline if you guys are interested too, because I don't want to do such a big plug, but the Professional Outdoor Media Association is actually really great for folks like us who kind of think the way that we do and want to tackle these issues more broadly. Uh, But no, there's so many great places to go to and there's so much to do outdoors. I think a lot of people maybe in D.C., in my impression, like they just are so stuffy and boring and they're not fun to hang out with. So I always tell people, if you want to hang out with me, come outdoors with me because I don't want to go to the bar. I don't want to go just to this usual hangout that everyone goes to. Let's try something unique and different. So I think, I hope more people go outdoors this year. That's something I hope people set out to do in their resolutions for 22. Uh, But quickly, both of you, where could people follow your writings with Young Voices, your respective places of employment, and briefly, where could people or what could people expect from you coming up soon if it's not too impossible to divulge? My writings, you can find on my Twitter at uh, Patrick Hines DC. Um, and you can follow uh, ACC National on Twitter for um, what our activists are writing, which which I have a hand in a lot um, about kind of market um, conservation. Cool. And um, you can follow me on Twitter at Kat J. Dwyer. Um, and uh, I, I share all my young voices work there. Um, check out Perk, um, perk.org. We do a lot of cool work on free market environmentalism um, and have some exciting projects on forest restoration and private land work and um, endangered species conservation and that sort of thing um, coming up in 22. Um, And I also uh, co-host a podcast called the Whiskey Bench Podcast, where we tackle um, these sorts of issues, but then um, kind of a broader spectrum of economics, philosophy, and politics. So that's another another good way to get uh, content from me. Thank you both for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for this was an awesome conversation. Yeah, thanks for having us.
Thanks for listening to this installment of District of Conservation. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat nor a guest announcement. Make sure you're subscribed to us on Apple Podcasts, our highest listening platform, and also find us on Spotify, which is also a popular choice, and wherever podcasts are played. If you ever have any questions, thoughts, concerns, go leave some reviews for us in these respective podcast players, especially Apple. And let us know what you'd like to hear or who you'd like me to interview next. We have much, much more content ahead in 2022. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.